Well, we are concluding the Sermon on the Mount today uh, in the Luke version um, in our, what we've called the Kingdom of God series. Um, as Andy and I have reflected more on this series, we've decided that we're going to continue the Kingdom of God series throughout the summer. We just feel like there's more for us here to mine uh, in the Gospel of Luke than we've been able to so far. Um, really what we see here in the Kingdom of God and in the Sermon on the Mount is a picture of what was on Jesus' mind when he went to the cross, when he was raised from the dead, when he ascended into heaven, and when he comes again, we, we're getting into the mind of Jesus. We're, we're trying to understand what did Jesus expect of his church? What did he expect of us um, when he was there on the cross, when he was being raised, when he's looking down on us right now? And I think we've gotten off to a really good start. I mean, I personally have learned so much just from doing research and preaching through this series, but the rest of the Gospel of Luke uh, is really a journey of Jesus as he continues on to Jerusalem. And the main theme that Jesus talks about on his journey, or that Jesus evidences as he goes to Jerusalem, is the kingdom of God. Throughout Luke, this is the overwhelming theme. And so we're not going to go through the entire book of Luke, and we're not going to look at every single place for the rest of the series where Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. But we're going to look at a lot of the miracles, a lot of the parables, and a lot of the teaching that Jesus has, and that's going to take us throughout the summer, and then we'll dive into uh, Elijah and Elisha in the fall. Um, but So we'll be in Luke for the rest of the summer. But today we're continuing on and concluding the Sermon on the Mount. And so in this very final section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, um, he starts He's been meddling with us, but now he's really bringing it home. And he, he makes us, he's like an uncomfortable preacher at this point. Um, he, he, if you're not uncomfortable listening to that scripture reading, if you're not uncomfortable a little bit listening to the sermon, then you're not taking Jesus seriously. Jesus is, on our Father's Day, I'll give this metaphor, Jesus is like a dad who is watching his son get into the car and drive off into the night. And he knows his son is prone to distractions. He knows his son is prone to listening to music too loud, maybe looking at his phone. And he knows sometimes his son uh, might not quite get it right. And so in love, he gets a little uncomfortable in his conversation with his son and warns him about what's out there. Now, why is he doing that? Is, is he a killjoy? Does he not love his son? No, he's, he's uncomfortable with us in this moment because he loves us and because he knows that for us to be distracted at this point for us to listen to this entire sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and at the end be like, you know, whatever, I'm going to go ahead and just live how I've been living, would be so dangerous for us. It would be destructive to our souls spiritually for us to listen to Jesus and then walk away and do as we please, or walk away and be formed by other forces and you know, the forces of religion that might put us, push us in a different direction. And so Jesus... He brings us home, and he calls us to obedience. He calls us to follow him here. He says, you know, I am the Lord. He, he speaks here as one with authority. He doesn't speak like a scribe. People are like, who is this guy? He speaks as the judge, as the one on the final day who gets to make the final decision. He's the one. Jesus, he speaks as the Lord He's not asking us what we think about what he says and saying, do you agree or disagree? He's saying, I'm, I'm the king. This is, I'm legislating law. 
there's no checks and balances. There's no legislative branch. It's just him. He's the king. He's telling us what is real. He's the giver of life. At the beginning, if you go back to the, the very first part of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. He calls us to himself because he gives life, and he knows it. He knows that he's the only one who can give us life. And so in this final moment in the sermon, he warns us that there are some who are in the church who feel they belong to Christ but do not belong to Christ. There are some who are in the church who have put their hope in places of false security instead of places of true security. And so Jesus first tells us about two areas of false security that are often found within the church. And then finally, uh, the last point, we'll look at the one sign of true security that we can build our foundation upon. Okay, so the first area of false security is paying religious lip service. Paying religious lip service. You see in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you over in Matthew 7, 21? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord. Now, these people have false security because they have made an external, public, verbal confession of the gospel. Now, real quickly, let me say, making a public, verbal confession of the gospel is what we saw up here this morning. It is absolutely important. It is emphasized in Scripture It is biblical. Making a verbal proclamation of your faith in front of the church or in front of other people is something that the Bible greatly encourages. And so this is not discouraging public confession. This is is not doing that at all. What is discouraging is merely a public confession. A public confession or an external confession of the gospel without an internal reality of obedience. Romans 10.9 tells us how important a verbal confession is is. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, then you shall be saved. So verbal confessions are great, but what we want to look at is what is going on underneath the verbal confession. We need to analyze that for just a moment. So the first group, there's a couple of groups here. The first group is saying, Lord, 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 but they're not saying it seriously, perhaps. So the word Lord in Greek can also just be a general term for sir, uh, mister, teacher, something, something polite, uh, but not something that carries with it the weight of the word Lord, which really means kurios or king in the Greek. And so, and we've seen this, maybe you've seen it in your own life, where you can say the word Lord, or you grow up learning names for Jesus, and you just casually use the word Lord for Jesus, but you're not actually, when you, when you say the word Lord Jesus, you're not actually thinking, oh wait, he's my king, and, and I'm, I obey him, I follow him. And the world is filled with people who are impressed with Jesus, they think he's really interesting, he's a great moral teacher, they find him fascinating, and many people in Jesus' day did as well, they called him Lord But they didn't call him Lord seriously. It wasn't a serious title that they used. And so the first warning for us would be that when we think about Jesus being Lord, are we just being casual about it? Have we learned in religion growing up that this is a word we use when we talk about Jesus, but we don't actually think about the weight that it carries that he's a king, 
and that he actually calls us to obedience. He calls us to follow him. So this is the first group. They say, Lord, but they don't say it seriously. The second group says, Lord, seriously, but they don't say it until it's too late. They don't say it until it's too late. I mean, on that final day, they're, they're there, and they realize, oh, my goodness, Jesus is the judge. I mean, he's the one that, that makes the decision, and so you'd better believe it on that final day. They are suddenly, but they know, they, they really do know that he's the Lord. They, they say it twice for emphasis, Lord, Lord, they say. Lord, Lord, they, they are very serious at that point about Jesus knowing that they believe he's the Lord. But it's too late. They're only doing it to escape the wrath. They're only doing it to escape hell. At this point, they realize that they've gone the wrong way. And, and at this point, Jesus says, it's too late. They realize that they want to escape judgment, but they weren't serious soon enough. And this is something that we find very common. I have a good friend who's a, a church planner in a very rural area of North Georgia. And he says that the most common problem that he faces in ministry is that everybody already believes that they're saved. Everyone. You know, once saved, always saved. Everybody walked an aisle. Everybody's been to a camp. Everybody's been baptized. And yet that inoculates them to the lordship of Jesus. They they think they're good. They think they basically got their insurance card and they're going to get to go to heaven. And this is what Jesus is warning us about here. It's people that, that they, don't, they don't take Jesus seriously and they, they don't understand that actually to, to be called by Jesus is to follow Jesus. This idea of a once saved, always saved notion um, while that's true, if you're, if you're truly in Christ, it can also be something that we can say to ourselves that, oh, I walked an aisle when I was eight, and so I'm good. Um, but yet there's no fruit on the tree. We look at our lives, and, and there's really no evidence of, of wanting to follow after Christ. And so that's one thing that Jesus is really making sure that we understand as a, as a problem. This religious lip service is a problem. What is needed is neither to say, Lord, but not seriously, or to wait too late to say Lord seriously, but to say Lord seriously right now. So we're, we're called to call Jesus Lord right now in our lives. That's what Jesus is saying at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, don't just call me Lord. He says, do what I say. He says, follow after me. James, uh, the apostle, wrote in James 2.17 that faith without works is dead. Now, we need to be really careful to make sure you understand that what this means is not that you are saved through your works, as not the case at all, but true faith in Jesus Christ will be accompanied by obedience. Going back to that fruit analogy, when you have a good tree, it does produce good fruit. It produces some good fruit, uh, at least. Um, there's also repentance that's part of the fruit of what is produced as well. Um, but what Jesus wants us to know is that we are called not just to externally profess Christ, but to internally evidence Christ and to externally evidence Christ in the way that we follow after him. Now, the, the, how we follow Christ and the way that we obey Christ, this is a fruit of God's grace in our lives. This flows directly from the grace that we've been given. We're, we're like a child who is, is loved well by his father who was loved well by his dad and understands how much he's been given by his father. 
and just wants to please his father. Not perfectly. None of our kids are perfect. I'm certainly not, not a perfect son. I'll call my dad this afternoon, and we'll, we'll have a conversation. But, but yeah, I mean, so what God wants from us is just that we would be honestly seeking to, to bring him honor and glory as we follow after him. He's looking for more than an external confession. He's looking for real obedience to him. So that's the first area of false security, this, this lip service that we pay to God, that we think that just because we said something or did something that we're good, but there needs to be an accompanying obedience that flows from the grace of the gospel in our lives. The second area of false security is living a religious lifestyle. Living a religious lifestyle. And uh, there's three little subcategories that I'll point out here, but a religious lifestyle, the first one that, that might give you false security is this desire to fit in or maybe successfully fitting into cultural Christianity. You've figured out how to successfully fit into kind of church culture. If I were to ask you today, I took a poll, like what, would it, what does it take to fit into church culture? Uh, what, what does that mean uh, to fit into the church? Here are some things that people might say. They'd say you need to attend church regularly, dress appropriately to the church culture, be nice to people, learn the words of the songs and the confessions, serve in some way, give the church some of your money, and raise obedient children. Those are some, those, there's a list right there for you. Um, now, those are all good things. Those are all fine things. But if the goal of being a part of the church is just to like meet this church cultural standard, and, and the, the fruit that you see in these areas isn't motivated out of the grace of the gospel, like if the grace of the gospel is at work in you and God is leading you to attend church, to sing from your heart, to raise obedient children, et cetera, et cetera, that's awesome. But what a lot of people do is they just want to fit into church culture, and it's, so, it's such a powerful force for us that we, would, that we just want to be a part of something, be a part of a group of people, and we don't even think about why we're doing it. We, we just are doing it. Uh, because we think it's a good thing to do. And, and Jesus says here that that's a, that's a source of false security. That desire to fit in to church culture is something that you need to be really aware of. You need to assess the why behind your religious lifestyle, not just that you are doing these religious things. Are you doing these things because you want to glorify Christ, or are you doing these things because you want your parents to be okay with you, because you want your pastor to be okay with you, because it just makes you feel like you can fit in and we all want to fit in. So that can be a source of false security for us because we're like, well, I fit into the church, I must be okay. Well, not necessarily. It depends on what's motivating you. The second thing here um, in this religious lifestyle, uh, the source of false security is the desire to feel good or to feel powerful. Uh, so Jesus warns us here of the allure of pursuing religion because we want to feel something. We just want to feel something good in our lives. And now a lot of people come to Christ in the Gospels because they want to feel something. They want to feel good. They want to be healed. But our love for Christ and our devotion to Christ needs to go beyond just a desire to, to feel good. Uh, just a desire to, to feel uh, like we're actually experiencing something. And what you, what you have here with these false teachers is that they say, you know, I said, Lord, Lord, and, and I did all of these powerful things in your name, so how, how was it that I didn't know you? And so what, what's, what we're getting at here is Jesus is saying that 
if you're following me because you want to experience power or you want to experience something good, and that's at the source of everything that, that you're about, then, then that's not what we're about. Because at times as Christians, when you follow Christ, he does enable you to experience some power in your life. At times when you're following Christ, he does allow you to experience some comfort in your life. But downstream from following Jesus, there's a lot more to experience than just feeling good and feeling powerful and feeling comfortable. There's sometimes when you're following Jesus, because Jesus, if you're following him, he went to a cross. When you're following Jesus to the cross, there's a time, actually, if you're following Jesus, you're going to lose power. You're going to feel less powerful. There's a time when you're going to be deeply uncomfortable. There's, there's going to be a time when it feels like you're, you're dying to yourself. That's what it is, dying to Christ to live for him. And so this experience of, of coming to Christ just because you want to feel something, feel something good, that can give you the allure, well, if I felt something in that church service or if I consistently felt something good in that religious community, then I must be a Christian. But Jesus is saying here, not necessarily. Now, for us Presbyterians, we need to feel more than we feel. I mean, we need to feel more emotions than we feel, right? I mean, uh, so I'm a little bit hesitant to emphasize this too much. So if you don't feel anything for Christ in your emotions, then that's not it either. Because if you read the Psalms, there's a lot of weeping. There's a lot of tears. There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of pain, okay? But the goal of being a Christian, the the litmus test of being a Christian, I should say, is not if you're feeling good, if you're feeling something. That's not it. I grew up in a church where the entire service was designed for you to feel, to feel big, big music, big sound systems, really emotional sermons where the music in the background is just doing everything it can to get you to feel something because that's the sign that the Holy Spirit is at work in this context. We have to also look at what goes on sometimes in megachurches. Um, there's some great megachurches out there. I'm not saying they're all bad. But there needs to be the question asked that when you have that kind of power, that kind of money, that kind of technology, that level of talent, I mean, you can create an experience for people that they will feel. And it feels good. And Heaven's sakes, man, we want to feel something good sometimes, right? But if you feel like that the only time you can experience Jesus is when you are in church, when the music's just right, and when you like the song set, or when you, the preacher really hit it out of the park and you're like, yeah, I think I do believe in Jesus, that's a problem. Because being a Christian isn't feeling good. It's not feeling powerful. It's, it's following Christ. And sometimes it feels bad to follow Christ. Okay, I need to just say that to you. It feels bad. It feels like you're dying because you are. If, if you're just, if Jesus is your plus one, if he's just like, I get, he's, he's just an add-on for me. He's just giving me what I need to get through life. I grew up thinking, it felt like going to church when I was growing up that every Sunday was like, I called it like a Jesus bump. It was like a bump on Jesus. Like, oh man, I'm okay again because I just got to go to church. Well, what about the other six and a half days a week? Is Jesus there with you in the other six and a half days a week? And so we need to be experiencing Christ in our real lives. And sometimes that experience is not feeling good. It's feeling like we need to die to ourselves to live in a different way. So the, the first one was the desire to fit in. 
It's a danger. The desire to feel good is the second one. The third one is the desire for quick help. The desire for quick help. And we, now we get into this famous build your foundation on the rock or on the sand analogy that Jesus gets to. Now, this desire for quick help is treating Jesus like a consultant. Like a consultant. If, if feeling good, we treat him like a therapist. Man, I just want Jesus to make me feel better. Tell me something that makes me feel better, Jesus. Thank you. Now we're treating him like a consultant. Jesus, I've got some questions. Give me some advice so that I can move on with my life. And so the danger here is the allure for quick help from Jesus without really changing our lives in any kind of substantial way. If you look at these two builders on the surface, they have some uh, similarities that we should note. Both of them want to build a better life for themselves. Absolutely. And they seem on the surface, if you're just looking at their life, they seem to use the same kind of raw materials. So you can't really look at their life on the outside and go, these two lives are different. Yet Jesus' point, of course, is that in the end, they're actually really different. And the real difference is that one of the men in the story went and, and went for the quick route. He went for the quick help, quick advice route. His goal was to take Jesus and to build a life as quickly as possible, as close to the river as possible, so that he could get done and he could sit in his armchair with his drink and have a nice time. He wanted to get it done quick. The second guy, as you read in the Luke study, what he does is he really analyzes what's going on. He really looks at, and this is talking about the whole Sermon on the Mount now, this guy looks at everything Jesus says, and he takes stock of everything that Jesus says. And he doesn't just try to like pick and choose, oh, that verse is cool, that one really ministers a lot to me, but I don't like those verses. He takes the whole body of work. And he's like, in light of Jesus and what he said, I don't need a renovation. I need an entire rebuild. I need to go down to the foundation. It says in Luke 6 that this man got out his shovels, maybe he had some help, and he dug down to the bedrock. And he decided that it was worth it that he was going to build the foundations of his life on Jesus not just to get the job done as quickly as possible. He didn't just want Jesus' advice as a consultant. He wanted Jesus to tell him how to live. If that meant living farther away from the river, it taking longer for him to be satisfied and to be in a place where he felt good about things, he felt like it was worth it because he thought about in the end, in the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of opposition this life this house faces. And so what's going to stand the test of time? What's going to stand? Is it going to be taking quick advice and trying to maintain my life, or is it going to be building my life on Christ? And so he went for, he went for broke, and he actually dug all the way down to the foundations. He went for the total rebuild. So these three dangers are there for us to, they're kind of litmus tests for us to consider um, are we just trying to fit into cultural Christianity? If so, that's a danger. Are we just trying to feel good by Jesus? Is he our therapist, but not our Lord? Are we just going to him for some life consulting? Uh, man, my marriage is struggling. Man, my kids are this. I need to know how to manage this. That's not bad. 
Um, but what we need to do is to go deeper and to build our foundations, the foundations of our lives on Christ. So those are the two big areas that we might fall prey to, paying religious lip service and thinking, oh, I made an external confession, I'm good. Or uh, this religious lifestyle that we get ourselves into, and we think, oh, surely I'm a Christian because I do X, Y, Z, and I do all this stuff, and look at me, and then are we really, do we know the Lord? Do we know why we're doing it? Is our life, is our foundation established on Christ? And so third, the final point today is, true security. The one place we can find security in life is building our foundation on Jesus Christ. Building our foundation on Jesus Christ. So the first point that Jesus wants to make for us today is all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I'm going to take a little minute here to reflect on you in the last couple of years and what's going on currently in our world today. Jesus tells you that all other ground is sinking sand. And he's right. He is so right. Your 401k, sinking sand. Your house, sinking sand. Uh, Global health, sinking sand. Um, Your vacation plans this summer, if you're going to Yellowstone especially, uh, sinking sand. We can't, we're we're like, oh, finally I get to go on a vacation. Oh, maybe not. You know, I mean, like, we don't even know how to plan that. Your political party is sinking sand. Your career is sinking sand. Your marriage, p- perhaps. Your children's future, definitely, we can't control that. Your need for approval, sinking sand. These last two years have been a moment for us to, to take stock and go, is Jesus telling the truth? Are there really bad storms out there in the world that can destroy us? Yes, there are. COVID is the great revealer these last two years. It's the great revealer. It didn't do anything new, but it showed us all the cracks and the fissures in our foundations. And you know what it's it's made me realize is that, wow, I need Christ so much more than I thought I did. I mean, I already said that I did. I've been through all the theological training, and I've said I need Christ. But, like, for real, I can't control anything. I can't control a thing. What, where can you build true security? Can you build it in your health, in your retirement, in your business planning, in your government, in the housing market, in your own self-effort? What has COVID revealed you to be? I hope for you that in the last two years, you have had moments where you've been like, man, like, I don't have what it takes. I am utterly vulnerable. I, my self-sufficiency has reached its limit. And I hope that's true. If you are still, if you're one of those people who is just incredibly strong and gifted and you've been able to hang on for all of these two years, and you haven't really gotten to a point where you felt poor in spirit and that you needed Jesus, I am really worried about you. Because what God has done for us in this is that he has given us a gift of showing us that he's speaking the truth to us, that there is nothing in this world. Even us here in Cary, with our 401ks and our businesses and our family connections and our connections to one another, we can't do it on our own. We don't have what it takes. We need help. We need help from God. To to have true security in this world, which we're all searching for, we need help from God that comes from outside of ourselves. The last two years have been a gift to us. I hope you've realized where your limits are, how finite you are, where your gaps are, I hope you've realized that there are times when you get it wrong, that you think something and you're convinced that you're right, but you're not. 
There, I hope there are times that you've had when you've needed to have a conversation with someone and, and you've just been, you've been concerned. You've not known how to do that because you've been facing something unprecedented. And I'm telling you, these moments for us have been a gift because we're not able to do it on our own. We aren't self-sufficient. We need a Savior who will save us. So Jesus will not just be an add-on to your life. He aims to be your life, and he wants to be our true foundation. So how do we build our life on Christ now that we realize we're vulnerable? The second thing that Jesus emphasizes here is we need to follow him with our life after we confess him with our mouth. We need to follow Jesus with our life after we confess him with our mouth. You need to realize what danger you are in if you're someone who regularly talks about Jesus or who even regularly serves Jesus, but you're not actually following Jesus in your heart and you know it. I mean, this, another word for this would be like hypocrisy, where you just know that there are areas of your life that you're just not taking seriously. You're just not. You're, you just have learned that this is a part of something that you're just going to live with, that you're not going to really pursue holiness. You're not, you don't, you've given up on obedience. And, and Jesus wants you to know that that's just not, that's not following him. That's not what he's calling you to. He's calling you to follow him thoroughly all the way through. He's calling you to, to really uh, come and die to that area of your life. Notice here, though, that obedience, I'm going to say this again. I said it earlier. This does not mean a new righteousness outside of Jesus. This is not building a house and saying, Jesus, look at this house I built. Aren't you pleased with me? Not at all. That, that would be an, an additional righteousness to Jesus. This is coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I want you to build my life. I want you to build my life from the foundations up, all the way up, all the way through. I want you to be my life. And then the life we build, we build on Jesus. So the, the, the building is built on the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus never looks at anyone's life on their own and they say, you're saved because you did it. Good job. Never. He says, you're saved because you're built on me. You're built on my cross, my resurrection. And then you build a life on Christ that looks like obedience to Christ. But I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you here, I don't want you to be too hard on yourself. This is one of those sermons where I think, you know, Jesus is being real direct. Listen, not a single person in this room, including me, if you really want to do an inventory of all the, my life, I mean, if obedience is perfectionism, then we're done, right? So that's not what Jesus is talking about here. And it can't be what Jesus is talking about here, okay? This is really important. This is not perfectionism because the Beatitudes start with blessed are the poor in spirit. The Beatitudes start with blessed are the ones who come and say, I haven't done everything right. And then it moves on to mourning for sin. It goes on to blessed are you who mourn over your sin. So Obedience that God requires cannot mean perfectionism. That is not what it means at all. Obedience to Christ means receiving his grace and, and deeply desiring to follow him in our lives. Now, there's a couple of different kinds of people in this room, at least. One kind of person kind of gives themselves an easy pass, and they're like, I'm good. Let's go to lunch, right? That was, that was a little convicting. Another person will go home and be like, wow, I need to, like, analyze everything about my life now and I need to look at every single thing that I've ever done wrong and make sure I've said I'm sorry or get better I mean so here's the thing 
God is looking for fruit in your life. He's not looking for perfection. He's not looking for perfection. But he is looking for an honest person who will say, am I following Jesus for real in my life? And if you're one of those people that tend to be really hard on yourself, here's what I would encourage you to do. Because you're at first going to be like, gosh, I don't even know if I'm a Christian because I still sin. Well, absolutely, all Christians still sin all the time. We all need God's grace all the time. What you want to ask, I would go to someone, maybe your spouse, if you're in a good place with your spouse and you trust them to answer you lovingly, and ask, do you see fruit in my life spiritually if you're discouraged? And that could be a risky question. Um, But I I think the answer is probably yes. We're not looking for like full-blown, 100-fold in the parable, amazing, perfect life. We're looking for fruit. Or, Or go to a friend and ask them, have you seen me change spiritually over time, and I bet you that their answer is going to be, yes, I do see you growing in Christ. We don't need to walk away from the sermon and be so hard on ourselves and discouraged. We just need to do an inventory and go, am I really following Jesus? And the third and final thing I want to emphasize is this, and this will help you, I hope, to bring this home, that building your life on Jesus never means that the storms are, um, let me put it this way, building your life on Jesus doesn't mean that the storms are not going to come. They are going to come. The storms come on everybody. But the storms will drive you to put your foundations in Jesus if you're a Christian. The storms are going to come to everybody. But in the storms of life, you will go deeper and deeper foundationally into Jesus. Let me explain how this works in real life. Um, So the storms can look like a pandemic. They can look like a, a war they can also look like just conflict at home or, or facing things in the home that are not what you wanted to do that day. So I had a day like that this week um, where one of my kids really needed me. And they came to me and um, basically asked for my help. And I was really busy that day, and I was super annoyed uh, that they needed my help right in that particular given moment. And uh, like you, I get into this trap of thinking that whatever I'm doing is actually the most important thing in the world and not the person that's sitting right in front of me sometimes. And so in this moment, I started to jump into this mode of how quickly can I resolve this problem so that I can move on with my life like I want to. And so I dished out a little bit of consulting. Well, here's something you could try. It didn't work, okay? So the consulting didn't work. Uh, Then I just tried to encourage her to feel better. The therapy didn't work. Uh, So I'm I'm using all my tricks. I I think I might have thrown a little shame in there. Uh, Like, you know what? Um, It's a little bit ridiculous that you're doing this right now. And that didn't work either. That that doesn't work. Um, So then I I realized I had a a choice. And this is all about following Jesus obediently, right? I had a choice. What does it look like to follow Jesus? When in the moment of life, you actually have to choose to follow Jesus or to go your own way and do whatever you, you please. So in this moment, I had a choice, and I realized how selfish I was being, and I realized the only way that I could actually be a good dad in this moment was to die. It wasn't that big of a deal, but I had to die to my plans. I had to die to whatever it was I was doing at that particular moment in time, and I had to give that to the Lord and be like, all right, God, this is what you need me to do right now. And so I'm going to die and first of all, I'm going to apologize, um, and then I'm going to enter in, I'm going to try to help, and I'm going to, I'm going to die, I'm going to take on whatever suffering my, my child is going through 
And this is not even, I'm not, this is not a huge deal. This is like one of those everyday moments as a parent. This is not a huge deal. I'm going to take on whatever they're dealing with, and I'm going to die. Now, what happens in me in that moment? Paul Miller gets into this. There's a great book called The J-Curve. What happens in me in that moment? What happens in me in that moment is that my foundations get more anchored in Jesus and in his gospel than they do in my plans and my performance and whatever I'm doing that day. When we say no to something tangible in our lives and say, you know what, I'm going to turn away from that thing and instead I'm going to embrace the way of the cross. I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to live in Christ. So what God does in that moment when the storms come, now the storm could be an unforeseen conversation with one of your daughters. The storms could be far more spectacular than that. But what are you going to do? The pressure points of life are the revealer. Where do you go under pressure? Do you move toward Christ, towards humility, towards brokenness, towards receiving the cross, towards experiencing the resurrection of Christ, or do you move away from Christ? Do you move to control? Do you move to, to being navigating your own kingdom and leading your own world? In that moment, getting back to the point of the sermon today, the true security of the gospel, what happens in me in that moment? I realize that, and you would realize as well, as you walk in that way with Christ, that my foundations are not in my performance. My foundations are not in getting it right as a parent, getting it right as a husband, getting it right as a financial manager or a pastor or whatever that thing is that I'm dealing with. My foundations are in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even though I sin against my child and even though I sin against other people, that does not govern my future. My life is settled. My foundations are in Christ Jesus. And so this is the beauty of, of going back to the analogy. In the storms of life, if you want true security, if security is found in you, in the moment of the storm, grinning, bearing it, and just getting it right. I mean, like gritting your teeth and just being like, I'm going to do it. Then that, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on you. But if you turn to Christ in the moment of crisis, in these moments of little mini crises throughout our lives, then this is the gospel. This is the, where the foundations are. And the beauty of that lifestyle is that there is no place in all the world, there's no stress or anxiety that that doesn't work. That, that that can't be the foundation for you, that Christ can't be sufficient for you. Because that means that in all of the storms of life, all the ones that we face that are far more significant than the, the story I just told, Jesus is there. He is strong for us. His grace is sufficient for you in that moment in the storm. So today, as we, as we reflect on this final uh, conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing, again, going back to that analogy, he's like that father, he, he, he gets a little uncomfortable He's warning us about some of the things that could distract us, but he's doing it because he loves us. He doesn't want us to build our life on something like lip service or lifestyle that is just utterly meaningless in the end. He wants us to build our life on something solid and secure. There's nothing more solid and secure than the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. That can carry us through foundationally through all of the storms of our lives. Let me pray. Father, we just confess to you that um, we just really need you in our real life. We need you in our marriages. We need you in our 
homes. We need you in our businesses. We need you in this church. We need you in our relationships, Lord. We, we confess that we often um, put our hope in places of false security um, that, that really do not stand the test of time, if we just take a second and think about it. But we thank you, God, that what you've provided for us in the gospel is strength that comes through death and resurrection, identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ in real life. Lord, help us, Father, to be those who are obedient to you, who follow you, not because we want to receive grace from you, but because we already have. Father, I pray that your grace would dwell in us richly and that we would follow hard after you uh, with soft hearts, loving those that you put into our lives. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name.